Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. First and foremost, I want to thank God for such a privilege as this, to preach His Word. Second, I want to thank my friend Jeff for an opportunity to preach in his absence. Third, I want to thank each one of you for your encouragement and prayers in ministry. Last but not the least, <laughs> I want to thank my wife. Uh, whenever I get into this preparation mode of sermon, I don't do anything. Like literally, I don't even get my own water. And she gets everything for me and she's been a blessing in ministry. So I want to thank her. <clears throat> Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, be with us today. And glorify yourself through the preaching and through the hearing of your word. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. I heard about a young man who's going to a camping trip. He was a little behind and his friends, they already reached his little behind. The night before, it rained a lot on the mountains. So while he was driving, his car slided into a ditch, 30, 40 feet under. The car was total. He hardly was able to get out of the car. He cracked the windows open and he comes out and there are glass pieces on his hands and legs, he's bleeding. Thank you for the lights. And he's walking. He's, ma he's making his way up to the mountain. And then he finds a house. He was so excited to see a house because there is some help for him. As he got closer to the house, he saw a nameplate on the house which said, Dr. Johnny. He even got excited. Man, it's not just a house, but... It's a doctor's house. I will get all the help that I need. He goes and knocks the door, rings the bell. After a couple minutes, this older gentleman comes out and says, young man, what do you want? Young man says, I'm bleeding. Would you help me? Doctor says, I'm sorry, young man. I'm not practicing anymore. He says, can't you see? I have glass pieces all over. I'm bleeding. I'll pay you. Would you please help me? And the doctor says, Sorry, young man, I've stopped practicing a couple years ago. I can't help you. Disappointed, walking away, he stops and looks at this doctor and says, Doctor, you either practice medicine or you take the plate which says, Dr. Jimmy. You do either one of them. And that's how many of our lives are. We call ourselves Christians, but we don't act like Christians. We are identical with other Christians, but we don't have an identity in Christ. John chapter 15 is a well-known Bible passage. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear fruit, you will bear more fruit, and you will bear much fruit. Most familiar passage. 
as a context, I just want to give you. John chapter 15, theologians call this whole section of scriptures as upper room discourse or final discourse. In other words, these are the last words of Jesus before going to the cross. The backbone of the gospel is the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the shepherd. And this is the last I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the true wine. Verse 1, we see two persons of the Trinity, the one who gives life and the other who produces fruit in our life. That's gardener, that's father. I am the true wine. That means there are false wines. Isaiah puts it in, puts it in this way. A strange wine. Jeremiah says, it's a wild wine. Hosea says, you're an empty wine. This is the nation of Israel. The prophets talk. A strange wine, a wild wine, and an empty wine that does not produce fruit, that does not have life. Keeping this in mind, let's look at who God is talking to. Verse 3. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is the same language that you and I will see in John chapter 13, verse 10. It says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Underline the next line. But not every one of you. But not every one of you are clean. But when you come to John chapter 15, verse 3, he says, you are clean. That means there was a person in chapter 13 who is not in chapter 15. Who is that? It is Judas Iscariot. When Judas was there, God said, all of you are clean, but not all are clean. That means all are saved except Judas. But when you come to chapter 15 and verse 3, you are clean. That means there are only 11 disciples when Jesus was speaking. The word abide was used mostly by Apostle John in the whole New Testament. Abide means to dwell. Abide means to remain. Abide means to stay. I love the word dwell. Abide. In this short passage that we read, 11 verses, 10 times the Gospel of John, the writer of John uses the word abide 10 times in these 11 verses. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I want you to make a distinction before I start my sermon. Identical Christians and Christians who have their identity in Christ are two different groups. People who abide in Christ is one group. People who attach themselves to the branch is another group. Branches that bear the fruit is one group. Branches that burn in hell is another group. Today we will look into those two passages. 
how does bearing branch look like and how does a burning branch look like? Let's look at the bearing branch first. I want us to consider how the New Testament has spoken about Christians. How did they identify Christians in the New Testament? Strangely, we were not called Christians in the New Testament. Only three times we were called Christians, twice in the book of Acts and one time in the epistle of Peter. In Antioch, people said, look at these Christians. It's a ridiculing term that they used, little Christians. And then Agrippa says to Paul, oh, the short time that you have, you want to make me a Christian? It's another ridiculing term. And finally, Peter says, pray for all the Christians. Only three times the New Testament mentions and identifies you and me as Christians. Then how does the New Testament identify Christians as? This is how the New Testament identifies Christians. In Christ. In Him. This kind of identification you will see almost 200 times in the New Testament. In Him. Abide in Him. And he abides in you. In Christ. The word disciple occurs 260 times. Keeping this in mind, I want us to consider how does the bearing branch look like? What are the characteristics of a bearing branch? The branch that bears the fruit. How do we know that we are that branch that will make it to heaven? Because we live in a culture that we have confidence in our baptism. We think baptism will take us to heaven. In a culture like this, just because you have a Christian name. Let's see, how does a bearing branch look like according to the text? Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. It's a mutual relationship. It's a mutual fellowship. How does that look like? If God abides in us and I abide in him, how does that life look like? We may all claim that we, we abide in Christ. But the question is, does God abide in you? I have a friend in high school. He loved this girl so much. He told all the people that she is his girlfriend. But girl didn't love him. That's a similar situation with a lot of Christians today. We love Christ. But the question is, does Christ love you? Why wouldn't he love you? I'll give you reason, my friends. John chapter 2. The last few verses, 25 I think, it says, All the multitude believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the signs that he has done, and in his name they believed. What a great thing. When they saw the signs that Jesus has done, they believed in God. They trusted his name. But the verse that follows it is very scary. Jesus says, but he did not entrust himself to them. Because God knew their hearts. My friends, God knew why you came to the altar call. My friends, God knows why you took baptism. My friends, God knows everything of you. We may fake 
but God knows your heart. God has to accept you. You will not go to heaven because you have a baptism certificate. You will go to heaven if God has stamps on your forehead saying he's forgiven. That's why we go to heaven. If you and I are not forgiven, we are not making it to heaven. How does abiding in him and he abiding in us look like? Verse 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. The first sign of this communion with God that you're truly saved is if, he, if we claim that he abides in us, the first sign is his words abide in us. So how is your Bible study? Let's start from there. Do you read your Bible? How much of the word is in you compared to the ears that you are born again, or at least professing to be born again. How much of the word is in you? How much have you read? Because when you are born again, your spirit yearns to hear the voice of the one who saved you. You cannot but long to hear the words of Christ who saved you. That's where the relationship starts. You know how you date girls, how you date boys. Your phone keeps on ringing. Your phone keeps on getting texts. It's the communication that you long for. How much more it will be with the Lord who saved you from eternal damnation. His words abide in us. The first sign. Let's read further. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask See, the beautiful thing, when you read the word of God, the very next thing that happens is you start to ask God. That means you want to have a dialogue with God. You want to speak back to God. That's communion. God speaks to you through his word and you speak back to God according to his word, not according to your emotions, according to your culture, how you're raised. No, no. You have communication with God according to his word. God has communication with you, with the scripture, and you talk. Last summer, I took a class from one of my favorite professors online. And this is like an eye-opening for me. He said, the first application of any text is prayer. The first application of any text reading is prayer. For example, if I read Good Samaritan story, Will I go and behave like Good Samaritan outside right away? No. You have to become Good Samaritan first before you behave like one. That means you need to have three things like Good Samaritan. First, your heart needs to be changed. Second, the doors need to open for you to do ministry. Third, you need to have $2 in your hand to pay to the innkeeper. You bend your knees and you ask God, any text that you read, you say that scripture portion to God as a prayer. That's where it starts. But the tension is not that. God speaks to us, we speak to God. But the very next word that says, ask, whatever. What does it mean, whatever? 
whatever you ask, I'm going to give you. What does it even mean? Whatever in Greek is the same and Hebrew is the same. Whatever. Whatever brings glory to God. Imagine with me, you are newly born again. So now, before you were born again, you were looking at cars. You were looking at homes. You are looking at boats. You are looking at bikes. This is all before born again. But once you are born again, your eyes look up to heaven. You start to ask things that pertain to the kingdom of God. You start to ask the things that pertain to the soul of your life. You start to ask things that pertain to the edification of the church. You start to ask for the people who are not saved. That God would have mercy on them and save them. That's how our prayers would transform. Whatever you ask, God will give it to you because you asked for His glory. If you have a circle and you have to divide the circle into sections, how many of our prayers have we prayed on earthly and temporary things and how many prayers have we prayed for heavenly and eternal things? Do we pray for kingdom advancement? Do we pray for the missionaries out there in different countries? Do we pray for our own souls, that our souls are so wicked and so sinful that this soul would turn to be like Jesus Christ? Every single time we come to the Lord's table, it's another parrot prayer that we pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins and help me to be partake in the Lord's communion. Our prayers have never changed, my friends. We pray traditionally, not scripturally anymore. I bet you if you go home and you have to say a prayer before lunch, this would be the prayer. Lord, bless this food. Let this food nourish my body and use it for your kingdom. Amen. This prayer has been prayed a million times by now. There is no scripture in prayer, only tradition. If you read the scripture portion, your prayers will change. You will see a God who provided Elijah the food with ravens. Morning and evening ravens have come with meat in their mouth. God has blessed Elijah with a brook of water. If you look at the famine stories in the Old Testament, your prayers will change when you eat food. When was the last time we prayed for farmers? When was the last time we prayed for a God who has the control over rain? Our prayers change when we read the scripture portion. We pray according to the word of God, not traditionally. How is our prayer life? Ask whatever. The first sign of a born-again believer is a constant communion with God. He speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him according to his word. That's the first sign. God's word transforms our wish. That means the core desires that we used to have earthly, it will transform by the word of God. And we start to ask for heavenly things. When disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus said, what did Jesus say? What's the disciples' prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread is the only petition in the prayer that pertains to physical nature. Everything else is kingdom-minded. Out of all the things, why did God choose food? Because you can earn a $2 million and be rest assured of next two years of your livelihood. But food is not like that. You cannot eat for the next two months at one time. If you have depended on God for morning, you have to depend on God for afternoon. Without his permission, that grain would, have, would not have gone into your mouth. There are many millionaires who just live on cereal because their body does not allow them to eat any other thing. It is God who has to allow you to eat. How is our prayer? Is there any change in this relationship with communion with God? Second, God's love transforms our will. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The first thing is, His words will abide in us. The second thing is, His love abides in us. How does His love abide in us look like? Let's continue to read. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So now the best question that we need to ask is, in order for us to keep his commandments, we need to know his commandment, right? What is his command? You will see that in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Oh, we know this, Pastor. We read the Old Testament. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love one another. But the problem is, I love myself poorly these days. What if I, normally I only eat two meals a day. I just drink coffee in the morning and I have my lunch and my dinner. What if you are my guest? I'll give you only two meals because I love you as I love myself. What if I eat only once? You will starve to death if you are my guest. <laughs> the standard is raised when it came to New Testament. Love one another as I have loved you. Christ is the standard of love. Who can love like Christ? How did Christ love us? If I give you a book, keep writing, writing how God loved us. But let's just stick to the context of it. John chapter 15, just go two chapters behind, two chapters ahead of it. That's where we will pitch our tent. How did Jesus love you and love me? The first thing that we see is Jesus loved you knowingly. He knew that all the disciples will run away in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew Peter will deny three times. Yet, he chose to love you. Yet, he chose to love me. Knowingly, he loved us. He knows Sagar will sin tomorrow. He knows Sagar will sin day after tomorrow. Things that I shouldn't be saying, I will say. Places that I shouldn't be going, I would go. Knowingly, he loved me. How does that look like for you and for me? Let me pick on Peyton, he's calm. 
what if I heard Peyton gossiped about me behind my back? The next thing that I will do is block his phone. That's it. End of relationship right there. My friends, we have a feet of clay. We do the same things that we don't like to others. Knowingly love them. Yes, they have fallen. Love them because Christ has loved you knowingly. We fall, we stumble. Extend the grace that you have received from the Lord. Knowingly, he loved you. Second, willingly, he died for you. He took your place and my place on the cross of Calvary. There is nothing good in you. There is nothing good in me. Christ chose to die for you. Christ chose to die for me, willingly. Greater love has none than this. Then he lays down his life for his friend. And you are my friends. And in the following chapters, you will see Christ went to the cross for you and for me. He died. This is how Christ's love will look like. Any earthly examples of Christ's love? Amy Carmichael, Irish Christian missionary to India. 55 years in southern part of India. Never returned home. Never returned home. Served the orphans. Helped the little girls who'd been used as slaves and prostitutes in the temple. She always complained while she was in Ireland. Her eyes were brown. All her friends' eyes were blue. Everyone mocked her. Oh, you have a brown eyes. Little did she know that God has called her to India. When she had her sari on her head and walked into the temple, the temple leaders could not recognize her because of her brown eyes. She went and rescued girls. If you have time in this year to read about a missionary, read about Emmy Carmichael, the life and legacy of Emmy Carmichael, written by Elizabeth Elliot. The title of the book is A Chance to Die. A Chance to Die. How does that love look like for you and for me? My friends, loving is not a joke. Loving is hard. Loving your own family members is hard. Forget about people outside. Loving the people you know, your family members, is hard at times. When you love, God wants you to get rid of your ego. When you love, you have to sacrifice time. When you love, you have to walk an extra mile. When you love, you, even though you are right, you have to keep quiet because you love. There will be a tension between your heart, self-respect and ego. There is something that's going to crush you. That's called pruning in the text. God prunes you. Dr. Young says, submit yourself as a branch under the knife of the gardener. When Amy Carmichael wrote in her devotion, when she was reading John chapter 15, this is what she wrote. What prodigal waste it appears to be, to see scattered on the floor, 
the bright green leaves and the base stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. But with a tried and trusted husbandman, there is not a random stroke in it at all. Nothing cut away which it would not have been, a loss to keep and a gain to lose. And she prayed, Rid me, good Lord, of every diverting thing. When the wine dresser uses his pruning knife, the FX can be sore and his ultimate purpose hidden, but he never makes a mistake. Not a cut is ever wasted. Jesus could have repeated here to Simon Peter, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Every time gardener comes with the cutter, with the blade, with the knife, not one cut is wasted, my friends. Every test, every trial, every death, every disease, every failure, every shame that you've gone through, not for your stupid mistakes, my friends, for the sake of the gospel. Everything that you've gone through is worth it. Ask any saint of God, he would say, it is worth it for the Lord. It is worth for the Lord. How does pruning look like you in your life and in my life? When was the last time you cut bleed, your emotions, your egos? We were not cut and that's what we are not bearing. There's no fruit in our lives. Spiritual fruit. Sometimes we misunderstand success with fruitfulness. Successfulness and fruitfulness are two different things. You can be successful in business. You can be, have a Christian name to the business. That's not fruit. Anything that you've done for Christ, that is the fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But people are doing, people having money, people have good reputation. But God says nothing. The author means nothing of eternal value. You could have done many things, my friends, but how much is it of eternal value? That's why Paul says in Colossians, Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. As you clean, as you do mopping, as you cook, as you talk, as you meet, as you earn, do it as unto the Lord. God's word transforms your wishes of your heart from earthly to heavenly focus. God's love transforms your will of the heart. You choose to love like Amy Carmichael, in spite of color, culture, economical status, no matter what it is, you choose to love, my friends. It's a command from the Lord. You don't pick and choose. Finally, God's joy transforms our worry. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Why did God say, I've spoken to you this because? Because of what? Chapter 14, verses 25, the following. 
These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Keeping this in the context, their hearts are troubled. They are sad, they are sorrowful, they are perplexed. Why? They left their profession. They left their nets behind and followed Christ for three years. And Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you. I'm like, Lord, this is not what we've signed up for. Man, what will we do if you leave us? So there is this sorrow and worry and sadness. And that's why Jesus said, I spoke these things to you so that you may have my joy. Most of the people think joy is natural to a Christian. No, my friends, joy is not natural to a Christian. It has to be brought by the Spirit of God into your life. So it comes from heaven. The synonym of joy is Jesus. Spirit of God has to bring Jesus and put it in your heart. That's when our joy journey begins. And then more pruning, more pruning, more cutting. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. That's when your joy will be filling. More fulfilling and more fulfilling. As you bear the fruit, you experience the joy of the Lord. And finally, one day, my friends, when we see Jesus face to face, our joy will be complete. One of the greatest marks of a Christian life is joy. No wonder people don't see that. Because we don't have. How many times you've heard our pastor Jeff said, I can't believe we get to do this. I cannot believe we get to do this. That's the joy statement, my friends. We all as a church should have that joy statement. We get to do this. We get to be part of kingdom work. That God chose us. Where is that joy, my friends? Where is that joy? You can fake anything in the world, my friends. You can fake anything. You cannot fake joy. Joy is authentic. If you have Christ, if you have joy, there is no person who can walk by who would not pause for a second and say, who is this guy? Who is this girl who has such a great joy? Where is the joy? The mark of a true Christian is that his words abide in us, his love abides in us, and then his joy abides in us. That's a bearing branch. And now we will look into the branch that does not bear the fruit. These are the branches that attach themselves to the vine, not abide. These are identical with the branches, but they don't identify themselves with Christ. These are fake branches who suck life but never produce fruit. So as we talked, John chapter 13 verse 10, 
not everyone is clean. Not everyone who's saved. So, can I ask you a question? Is it fair for us to assume that not everyone who comes to church is going to heaven? Yes or no? Is it fair to assume that everyone who's got baptized is not going to heaven? Is it fair to assume that everyone who does ministry is not going to heaven? My dear church family, I tell you with the love of Christ, your baptism, your church membership, your ministry are the signs of salvation, not the source of salvation. You don't get saved by doing works. You are saved and that's why you do things. The source of salvation is scripture alone. The only means is the spirit alone. The only reason is the savior alone. That's how you get saved. Not by professing my friends, by having Christ. Possessing Christ is different than professing Christ. There are many Christians who profess themselves to be Christians. Just because we say Jesus now and then doesn't make you a Christian. There are some Hollywood stars who had the Globe and Golden Globe Awards in their hands and they said once or twice about God. And the whole Facebook and Instagram is flooded with their things, thinking that they are Christians. The movies that they signed and the movies that they will sign recently are vulgar. They are not Christians. The football players that you think they use the Bible words on their shoes doesn't make them Christians. The politicians that you vote because they use a Christian word or they love Christians does not make them Christians. Who are we following? How does a Christian look like? Christ follower. There are three different kinds of faiths, my friend. Intellectual faith, emotional faith, and then volitional faith. Intellectual faith, James Stark, he contrasts this faith with demons. Demons have intellectual faith. When they saw Jesus, they said, what have you to do with us? Oh, son of God. They knew who son of God was, just like you and me. We know that Jesus came from heaven. He was born of a virgin woman, and then he went to the cross, and he's on the right side of the Father. That's intellectual faith. The demons have that too. The second is emotional faith. When demons saw Jesus, they trembled. How does our emotional faith look like? Go to the concert. There's this is one beautiful chorus, very deep, and all the youngsters start to cry. And the worship leader knows, wow, they love this song, and they keep 11 times repeat. Same song, emotional. Crying will not take us to heaven. Emotional stirring does not take us to heaven. Intellectual, demons have the same thing. They trembled when they saw Christ. What changes you, what changes me, is the faith. It's called volitional faith. It's a choice that you make. It's a commitment that you give to the Lordship of Christ. You come under the rule and reign of Christ. That is called volitional faith. 
We all love John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We love that verse. How many of us know John chapter 3 verse 36? They believed that he is the son of God. And they had eternal life. And then the following verse says, they did not obey. See, the twist of words that the Gospel of John did. Believe, who, who believed will go to heaven. It should say, who did not believe, right? No. Who did not obey shall not see life. And the wrath of God abides on them. We love John 3.16 because it talks about love. My friends, we have gospel without warnings. We have grace without truth. We have stories that will soothe your heart, never reach to your soul. Are you truly born again? A mother is wrestling with this question right now as I'm preaching. Will my son ever get to heaven? Sagar, will my son ever get to heaven? He took baptism when he was in high school. But since then until now, never committed himself, never goes to church. She's weeping and crying. Faith that confesses will not go to heaven, my friends. Even demons confessed. Faith that commits himself or herself under the rule and reign of Lord Jesus Christ and obeys the will of God, those are the people who will go to heaven. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. What happens to the branches that does not produce fruit? They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't have the love of Christ. They don't have the joy of Christ. That's how they look. Branches that does not bear fruit. Matthew chapter 7 verses 22. The most scariest passages in the scripture. On that day, you will come to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast the demons out in your name? Did I not do mighty works? And Jesus says, Depart from me, for I knew not. The word knew not is both ways. I know the president of America. The question is, does president of America know me? It's a fellowship and a relationship that counts. Matthew chapter 25, ten virgins go with the lamb. Five of them wise took oil with them. The other five did not take. When the bridegroom came, the five went in and he stand next to the door. Imagine with me. Shuts the door on our face. The most embarrassing thing that you and I will ever face in life when God shuts the door. These five virgins went and put the oil and came back and knocked the door. God says, 
I knew you not. I don't know who you are. Hell is real, my friends. Hell is real. Historian Martin Marty said, Hell disappeared and no one noticed. No one preaches about hell anymore. We love the grace without truth. Hell is real, my friends. Hell is real. I want to share three things about hell. Rich man and Lazarus story, most of you are familiar with. Lazarus says, or the rich man says, can you please ask Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and come and put it on my tongue? Excruciating pain that you can never describe with words. He is in hell asking for one drop of water. Have you ever worked out in gym, ran six miles, worked in the yard? Wait for two hours, don't drink anything. Let's see how it looks like. It will be a million times more. Second, it's excruciating not only physically, it's excruciating emotionally. How do I know that? He says, his mind is working in hell. I have five brothers in, on earth. Can you send someone to preach the gospel? He has a heart that their bro their, his brother should not end up in hell. But the sad part is, God will hear and answer your prayers while you're on earth. Once you get to hell, your prayers are not answered are not even received. So, excruciating physical pain, excruciating emotional pain. You see your family members. Second, it's endless chasm. Neither he can go to here, neither they can go there. Endless chasm. Hell is excruciating. Hell is an endless chasm. Finally, hell is eternal. If this would not put fear in your heart, I don't know what will. How does eternity look like? One author puts it this way. A bird comes from another planet, comes to earth, picks one grain of sand and goes to the planet millions of miles away puts the sand there and comes back and picks another sand peel. How long will it take for the bird to clear the sand in Pensacola? How long will it take for the bird to clear the sand in Navarre? How long will it take for the bird to clear the sand in Destin? How long? That's how eternity will look like. There is no end, my friends. There is no end. You will burn in hell for eternity. The Gospel of Mark says, the worm will not die, the fire is not quenched. Who wants to go to a place like that? 
I don't want any of you to end up there. Apostle Peter says, he's not slow in coming. He's not slacking in coming, the second coming. He wishes that none should perish. Can you answer this question for yourself, my friends? Truly answer yourself this question. If God comes right now, how many of your family members be in heaven? How many of you will be in heaven? A day extended in your wife's life. A day extended in your husband's life. A day extended in your son's and daughter's life. A day extended in your co-worker and friend's life. is an extended grace, my friends. is an extended grace. God gave one more opportunity to accept that you are a sinner and that you need Savior to save you. Commit yourself into the hands of God while you have time. While you have time. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. The first invitation that I want to give this morning is people who are not assured of their salvation, they think they are saved, but listening from the word of God, if you have any doubts, we would love to talk to you after the service. And the second invitation is for those who have never accepted Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you have been spoken by God, if he had knocked the door of your heart and you want to come into your life, you can do so. As the choir comes and sings this last song, prepare your hearts and finally, pray for those in your family who doesn't have an experience of salvation. Your own family members, lift them up to God. First, for those who assume they are saved. Second, those who are not saved. And finally, for the family members who are not saved. Find out more about